London Property, home of Super Prime, where you can find informative, educational and entertaining content covering all aspects of property. Hello and welcome to London Property, home of Super Prime. I'm your host, Farnas Fazaipo, and today we're in the conversation with Nicola Murphy and Nicholas Bayarski. Welcome to the show. Really pleased to be here, Farnas. Thank you. Um, it's not often that we can uh, speak to an architect and call him a doctor, so we're going to start with you, please. <laughs> can you tell us about uh, your passion for architecture and uh, how you came to be with us here today in your journey? Well, well I've, I've been interested and in, loved architecture since I was a child because my father was an architect. And you often find that people grow up in the same atmosphere and do the same things. Um, so I've been practicing with Nicola now for about 30 years. And we a lot of our work is concentrating on London properties and working with them. And we really, really like transforming existing found buildings. We like bringing new life to them. And we like really working closely with our clients to sort of collaborate and come up with a project that's going to make them happy. So you're being very modest with your introduction because <laughs> you do give a lot back as well, don't you? You 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 have taken taught courses. Is that correct? And oh, I, I mean, I, I also teach architecture. Yes. yes. I'm, a, I'm a professor of architecture and I teach design, history and theory. So I live architecture. I do you many, do many live things. architecture. And your father actually founded the Architectural Association. Well, he didn't found it, but he was the director of it for 20 years. Okay. So you really have got it in your soul. I have London architecture, particularly in my blood. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So... So when when you were studying architecture, I'm, I'm you know you, you you've got to guide me here. But as a as a uh, someone who's achieved their PhD in architecture, presumably you had to focus in on something for your thesis. Uh, the thesis I did, the PhD I did many years later, and that's about practice research, which is which is reflecting and taking aspects of what we've been doing for the previous twenty years and exploring it and unpacking it. So what that shows on, you know, the environmental challenges as well as trends or what, what, what does it actually mean? Particularly, it's about how we design the creative processes that we, we work with. Also, also environmental aspects are very important. Yes. Okay. All right. And Nicola, how about you? Tell us a little bit about, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that's how you met through architecture? Yes, we did. We met at the AA. <laughs> First day, I think. Um, my journey to the AA was a little different from Nicholas's. I didn't come from a uh, architectural family, but we had, um, my parents had their house remodeled and that was my introduction to the AA. The two people who did it were tutors there. And I just thought it sounded like the most fantastic school. No exams, just drawing. And so I, I went there, met Nicholas, and we, um, after working a few years in bigger practices in London, we then set up our own practice together. And we've been working on very, I, I'll say tight London sites, because all sites in London are fairly tight and contained. You know, we're, we're surrounded by things all the time on very bespoke solutions for particular people solving problems that they have or issues they want to bring to a building, like goldfish or whatever it is. But, yep, yeah, so that, that's... That, that's how, how it came to be. Yeah. And the thing with architecture is that, you know, you really are creating things that you're leaving, you could leave for hundreds of years. So it's, it's actually 
you know, there's so much more involved than just creating a property for someone, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, there's the whole history of the property and not just the property as you find it, but but then you have to look back and see what happened there before and before that. And all of these different people and that have passed through a building, they leave marks and traces. And it's how you take aspects of those and you bring them to the new the new life of the building that you're making. It's a so um, I'm going to ask you this, uh, Nicholas. Do you think that restoring things back to how they were always intended to be is 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 a good practice of going into something and 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 trying to work with it? No, I think that's a really good question. I mean, we we see what we do more as transforming existing properties. So really, we live in a different age now to when when central London properties were built. And so we really see our, our, our role as opening up new possibilities in buildings. I mean, where necessary, where things should be restored, we, you know, we, we, we will work with the craftsmen who can restore. But it's really about adapting old properties to new, new, new forms of living. New forms of living, but, but I, I guess keeping some sort of history yeah, there. Absolutely, But yes. modernised. Absolutely, yeah. And um, so would you say that your, your, the focus of your work is um, is related very much to um, how to maximize planning restrictions and listed building restrictions what 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 would you say that your practice focuses on I'm going to ask you both that question um, well that's always the beginning of a project is what's feasible what what can be achieved and what can be consented you know so so that's the first sort of big hurdle in a project is to understand the property and then to understand what the client would like to do and then how to to unfold a, a process that that can be possible. The next, you know, challenges are obviously the design, finalising the design and building it. But but certainly planning and consents, yeah, they're very critical because if a project's going to fly, if it's going to work, everything has to be sorted out at the beginning. And uh, Nicola, what about you? So you're you're actually doing your PhD at the moment, is that right? Yes, yes. And what are you focusing? What what's the focus of that? Ah, oh, well, 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 that's um, I'm really interested in the unseen aspects of architecture of of what we do. The, the the pieces of a building that you don't really know are there, but have an effect on the way that you live in it. And so it's about things like um, the ghosts that that that, that inhabit buildings and that can be the you know the old craftsman that built it or the pieces of the fragments that people leave behind when they leave a building and it's those little things that you find when you see a building for the first time it's how they in in it's how they inform your design response to the problems that you're given so th that's what I'm interested in the unseen aspects so will you give me an example because that sounds fascinating but I'm trying to understand what what you mean exactly a ghost well, you know, people they hide things underneath the floorboards, or they leave things behind cupboards that are that, and it's these things that you find that are, or so there are things like that, or then there, are, that there are pieces of pieces of craftsmanship where people the, the way that that um, people made walls in the past, you know, the wattle and daub, with, where they cut each individual piece of timber, and or the way they they knock out a uh, floorboard or whatever. It, it, it's these little things that. We don't 
And when you strip, when you strip back, you oh, discover yes, these things. Yes, you do. And you yeah. hope that you don't discover an ancient Roman village, and then otherwise you really yeah, then would be, your budget. Yeah. There'd be problems because there was yeah. actually a site like that in yes. Marlow's Road, yeah. Kensington Green, I think it's called. I'm, my memory serves me right. And when they were halfway through the development, having built one side of it, and I think it was a Singaporean fund that was behind this. They discovered a Roman village, and the whole thing stopped. Yeah, it would do. So the guys must have been sweating it in in Singapore, thinking our budget. But uh, it, it it took about I think it took about a year for yeah, all the archaeological process. Long process. Yeah. yeah, and another house that we we did we did a, a feature on in our school when they stripped it back. Not very glamorous findings, but they found like bottles of beer stuck in the in the in the brickwork. So that does that that will teach you a lot about. Yeah. what goes on so yeah, that, and, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah and that's something that's actually quite close to your practice isn't it you do look into the history of things when you're looking at a project and when you want to kind of put a case forward can you give us an example of, of, of a really interesting one that you did where you had to really dig into the history and say okay actually yes we can do this because our heritage consultant says x y and z talk us through that what what is involved when you bring in heritage consultants well, I could, I could probably talk about the building we're, we're sitting in today, and um, which was originally two buildings, and then it was merged in the 1950s, 60s into a series of flats. And um, our, our brief was to refurbish the first floor and then to you know, make some quite, well, through the process of our design, we, we really developed some quite new approaches to taking out walls and things like that. So we had to really become archaeologists. It's like being a forensic scientist, sort of finding out, going through all the old maps and plans, seeing what was there originally, because you're trying to build an argument to justify to de design officers and English heritage um, a justification for the change that you want to make. So there is a lot of that involved, in, in particularly with listed buildings. So... Um Every case, presumably, then, is, is really looked at on its own merits. So if you're going to the planners and you're presenting a case, it is kind of you almost don't know what the outcome is going to be because it's a bit like a going to court. You have to convince the judge that, you know, in 1855 people did that. Yes, I mean, it being England, there are no kind of firm rules. So a lot is about interpretation and nuance and, and uh, what... The, what you're giving um, in order to get, say, a change of, say, removing a, a wall, you may have to promise to or undertake to improve something else. So it's a sort of negotiated trade-off process to some degree. And ultimately, what the planners and the heritage consultants, is it the heritage consultants, what they're looking for is to restore history? Not necessarily. No, the heritage consultants will work Working with for us. You. Right. So it is the planners and the um, design officers. Um, not necessarily. Um, they think they are, but they can be taken on a journey. If, if they like the narrative, if they like the story that you're offering them, they will um, go with it sometimes. So what was the most challenging thing that you achieved here? So we're sitting in, for our listeners, we're sitting in a, in, in a double building, Cadogan Square. And what was the the most okay, interesting the thing that you discovered and, and, and achieved here? Probably the glass bridge, the, 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 the glass enclosed bridge at the back of the apartment, because we needed it, because if we couldn't have it, we couldn't work a fire escape. Fire escape access route wouldn't work at all. 
So it was really essential, but also it, it was going to tie together the three kids' bedrooms. So it was really important as a sort of social space. And we discovered, looking through old historic buildings, that there had been a conservatory there at some point. So we were able to sort of really dig this out and then take it to the offer and say, look, all, what we're basically doing is re reinstating the same idea. And then you start talking to officer about um, materiality, and he said it's got to be light, it's got to be modern. So then we looked at technologies of, of, of butting glass together and making a steel and glass structure that was sort of elegant, really, but wasn't, wasn't historical. So that was a collaboration, I'd say, with, with the, the planning officer. To that okay. Extent. And um, so, so with, with listed buildings, it's, it's very much finding out some historical precedents about things that you want to change that are not allowed. Yeah. But if they were there before, then you have a much higher chance of actually getting them Yes, it's, it's, it's that. And I think it's really about constructing a narrative for the, with the planners so they understand where you're coming from. I mean, they have a whole lot of things they knee-jerk about. There's some things they just hate. And so if you, start, if you go in and say, oh, we're putting um, recessed downlights and ceilings, they'll just throw it out because they, they have certain policies that they really don't like. So as long as you know what, what ticks their box, you know, you, yeah. you can work around it. So experience plays a huge part in, in, in success rate. Yes, and knowing the officers um, and dreading when you see you've got so-and-so's name... You know, it's going to be difficult, but otherwise, you know. Okay. And obviously you have to have all these different relationships and different councils. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that, that, yeah. that's, yeah. Uh, you, so, so as a, as a couple, do you have an obvious division between what you enjoy doing and what you focus on and what Nicholas focuses on? Well, there are some things that um, Nicholas doesn't do and I do. So for instance, um, scaffolding, climbing scaffolding. Nicholas will never climb a scaffold. So I, so I do that. But apart from that, we're pretty. In, we 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 we, um, we swap roles. We we do most things. So you you Th have so there's not very similar uh, interests, which is lucky. Yes, yes, and we've worked <laughs> together for an awfully long time. So yeah. we um, there's a language that we um, that's not necessarily spoken that we it, communicate with. It's it's it's. Okay. Yeah. Um, so on the subject of, of uh, planners and planning, there are certain things that people, you know, who don't know as much about architecture as you guys do, um, that we all talk about. Like, oh, amalgamation. No, can't do that. So can we start with the amalgamation? So then when, when anybody is being advised by non-experts, yeah, that's the first thing everybody says. You can't do that. Whereas I've, I guess I've, I've hung around other professionals for long enough to, to always say to my clients and people I come across, it's not always a no. Yeah, I mean, I think, absolutely, I think it's worth um, digging further. They also call it deconversion. And there is a sort of move in, in Kensington, Chelsea, because they, are, they appreciate that people want to restore houses to what they were, that there's some sympathy to that. Um, we, we've had incredible victories. I think we turned uh, nine units into one not so long ago. So it is, it is possible to do, but you really do need to know the, the, the ins and outs of recent case law and um, what's been acceptable. It used to be that um, amalgamation wasn't, didn't require planning permission. It was just a permitted development. 
till about three or four years ago. So you could do it then. You, you can now combine two apartments, but the total square meterage on paper shouldn't be more than, I think it's 170 square meters. But I think, I think if, you, if you present a case to the officer and, and you really argue for it, they will, they'll make a sort of judgment on a number of issues to do with a, with a building or, or, you know, the feasibility of doing it. So um, it's got harder. It's certainly got harder, but um, I wouldn't say it's impossible. But over 1,700 square feet, it probably is quite challenging. But then you said you did these nine units. So what was all that? That was a listed building, presumably. No, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't listed. There were nine units and we, um, there's two buildings, nine units. And we first off just made it seven units. Then we made it five. Then we made it two. Then we made it one. But this was a huge super prime thing with a triple basement and everything. It took about a year and a half. But we went through all the different iterations. And each time we had to do some building work around that. So sort of open up walls and things to, to prove that the amalgamations had been achieved. That's going to, that's, that story alone is going to make you famous to do that in this environment, to actually manage to convert. Well, that, that was seven or eight years ago. Okay, so if we put you to that challenge today, it'll be a little bit harder. I think Kensington Chelsea sort of worked out what was going on and <laughs> responded to that. So this is mainly driven by the fact that there's a, there's a housing shortage. They don't want to lose they, units. They don't want to lose units. They're very resistant to use, losing residential units. That's in their kind of um, um, DNA that they shouldn't be doing that. Okay. The non-professionals in the industry now have certain things that they just tell everybody, oh, no, you can't amalgamate, no, you can't do basements, which, you know, I always like to question whenever somebody says, no, you can't, because I think there's always got to be a little bit better solution than that. So just for our listeners, can you tell us, you know, what is amalgamation? Well, amalgamation, or it's now called deconversion, is when uh, people may buy a property that's been subdivided, probably in the 60s or 70s, into a number of different flats. And they want to restore it back into a single unit. So the process used to be uh, permitted development. So you needed to get, um, you needed to make an application to the council and then they would more or less approve it, provided you followed the correct routes. Recently, it's got more contentious and local councils don't want to lose property units. So it, it, it's more tricky, but it is possible to achieve, I would say. Likewise with basements, you know, it, you can still build basements. It's, there's just a lot more hoops to, to, to climb, a lot more like basement assessment plans you have to do. So there's just more paperwork, more expense, more experts are needed to. And, you know, as a, as, as a non-expert in this, one thing that you always hear is you can't build more than 50% of the size of your garden if you're doing a basement. So, you know, what does that translate into for professionals? Well, I mean, if, if it's listed, you can't build under the listed building. So you can build in the garden and you're right, you can't build more than 50% of a basement in that situation. Okay. So the restrictions are there, but they're not 
blanket restrictions, forget about basements. Again, an expert with experience is going to be able to open up a lot more yes, I, I, opportunities. I think, I think it's always worth digging further and seeing what the feasibility of actually achieving a project is. And you could you can approach the council uh, with a for a pre-app, which means you don't make public what you're doing and you get informed advice from an officer about what they're likely to uh, how they're likely to respond to, to, to such an application. And generally speaking, um, how are you seeing the market from where you are? Are there a lot of people staying put and doing works or are you finding people are actually investing into real estate and, and, and still engaging with, with building work? It's a funny time, I would say. It's a funny time. I think people are staying put. Um, some people are, are realising that there's really interesting property that can be bought that maybe has challenges. Um, but but yes, it's, I wouldn't say it's a really buoyant time right now. I think people are very cautious about what they're doing. But also, I think if you've got the guts for challenges, that's really where all the, the yes. upside is, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And if you've got, uh, you're in, in the capable hands of a team like you two, then your challenges become a little less risky. Yes, yes. I'd also say we do work with, you know, clearly planning consultants, heritage consultants, whichever consultants we consider necessary for a project. Because it's very important with the planning side to get the regulatory um, material, you know, stacked up to make the argument. But yes, I mean, if, if, it, it's, a, it's a great time of opportunity. Yeah. Um, let's touch on the subject of sustainability, because I went into, into a building in, in Lounge Square um, quite recently for one of our featured properties, and they were talking about how they had to have like an ant colony on the terrace so that the insects had somewhere to go. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Have you heard of going into that much detail? No. I mean, you know, bats and greater crested newts are problems, but I've not heard can that ants. <laughs> can be problems, yeah. So can you talk to me about that, actually? Because I, I, had, I had heard about bats um, being quite restricted, restrictive. Um, but can you tell me how, how, do, how's, how are they looked upon? Well, they're, they're protected species, and I think there are three or four in London that are really protected. And it's not to say that you can't do development, but you just have to go through sort of due process and um, you, you commission surveys. And if there are bats on the property, you can propose an alternative place for them to, to live. So it's not, oh, I've got bats, I can't build. It's, it's really how do we manage the bats and how do we, um, you know, find a new place for them to, to nest and to live. And then I guess from a sustainability point of view, there, there's got to be slightly different regulations on redeveloping something that exists versus building something new. I think that if it's, if it's a new build, it's much tougher. You, you really have to go through all the hoops with, um, you know, sustainability. We've recently built a couple of new builds and you, it's so much more about um, how much water is going to be used, the materiality. You really have to prove every, every ounce of, of what you're doing. Charging stations for cars and, yeah, and everything, bicycles. Um, and places for, for drying laundry. Um, it, it's endless. If you're doing a refurbishment, it's much less onerous. But um, what are the, the, the most challenging uh, changes that sustainability is bringing to the architectural world, would you say? Well, I mean, the thing that's coming up for new builds is that after 2025, you, we, we can't use gas boilers anymore. And that's pretty much enshrined in regulation. 
Okay. So that means we'll have to look at air source pumps or heat pumps or ground pumps to, to provide energy, which is a really good thing because obviously we shouldn't be burning gas, but it's, it's like trying to change the course of a huge liner, you know, to, to get in line with requirements. And it's going to be pretty, pretty radical, I think, when it happens. So um, I'm hoping that what they mean by that is that when you're putting in a new boiler, you can't put in a new boiler, or are they expecting the whole country to change? Every new building cannot right. have a gas boiler. Cannot have a gas boiler, yeah. And then I guess that's an opportunity for people to start learning new trades. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So before we, before we finish off, um, for our listeners to, to, to really appreciate um, what you do, can you talk to us about a, a recent achievement that, you know, for you was like, wow, that was okay, um, quite a hard thing to get done? Well, it, it's a few years back, but we, we managed to get permission to convert a, a Christopher Wren Tower in the city of London that was a scheduled monument. And we managed, it had been bombed in the war. It's right next to the Stock Exchange. And we managed to get permission to turn it into an 11-storey house in a tiny footprint of, of a, you know, Christopher Wren church tower. Oh, so that's goodness. probably our all-time success, actually, in terms of, you know, getting permission to do something that we never thought was possible when we started. And what, what was that concept that you went and sold to the planner when you, when you first started the journey? I think it was working with the detail of the building, really, and just talking about how we would be improving the building in a way. You know, it was standing empty. And if once they accepted that it could be used for somebody to live in, then obviously everything followed from that. But it was a long journey, I have to say. So since you're both uh, very um, detailed in your experience and in your education in architecture, what would you have to say to somebody who is actually considering going into architecture? Let's come on, Nicola. It's your turn. It's a great profession. You meet all <laughs> sorts of fantastic people. You do fantastic things. You, it's not just about buildings. It's about relationships and how people interact with spaces and the city and with each other. It's, it's everything. It's, it's fun. It, yeah, you couldn't do anything better. And would you like to agree with her? Uh, yes, I think so. I think so. And I think one, one thing di Nicola didn't mention is when, when we're doing the, the sort of work that we've been talking to you about is we get to work with craftsmen and tradesmen who really have such knowledge that it's a privilege to learn from them. Yeah. I'm talking about sort of decorative plaster artists or um, stained glass artists or, or, or joinery. So you stay involved so it's not like somebody comes to you, you give them the plans. You do actually stay involved for the whole concept through to the end. That's our preferred route because then we, we deliver what, you know, we know can be done. Yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And for any of our listeners, if they need to get in touch with you and, and uh, get some of your expertise, they'll be able to connect with you through our experts directory. So thank you for joining us. It's thank been you great for talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks for listening to the London Property Podcast. Head over to londonproperty.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletter to receive latest updates.